The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, what I will say to myself in that moment is, is the risk of not having the night's sleep that I value due to erratic or unpredictable or volatile blood sugars worth this pizza at this specific time? But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast with myself, Owen. Sorry, I'm adjusting my chair. I'm actually sitting down for this episode, strangely enough. Usually, I'm always standing up. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that I got a standing desk at the start of this year and I was just an absolute game changer. But today I thought, you know, why not sit down, relax and be at one with the podcast and the listener, right? (laughs) So hope you're well, number one. Hope the week is treating you well. And as always, I do genuinely appreciate the fact that you are tuning into this podcast. And like we've said, hundreds of times before there are thousands of podcasts you could be listening to so the fact that you're in or you have the earphones in you have the speakers on whatever it is and you're you're listening to this one means a lot to us but also says a lot about you because the easy option is to avoid diabetes the easy option is to neglect your diabetes the difficult but more beneficial option is to proactively take action on trying to better your health, better your management, and you are doing that by listening to this podcast. So well done. So last week, I actually did a solo episode last week too, strangely enough, but there was a great response from the episode that I did last week, and and a lot of you really, really enjoyed it. And basically, it was five tips to help increase your time and range and your energy with type 1 diabetes. So I thought, why not do another five this week? And the five that I listed last week and the additional five that I'm going to add in this week are basically different thought processes and decisions 
and actions or behaviors that typically I go through on a daily basis. Not every day, but a lot of the time, these are similar or recurring decisions or actions that come up for come up for me with my own diabetes management. So again, these are these are for me. I'm telling you them. I'm not I'm not telling you to do them, but I'm just giving my insight from my own experience. And if you get value from it, that's fantastic. Okay. So the first one for today, I'm gonna go through them nice and quick. If you have a pen and paper, take a note. Just take note of what you need or what stands out to you. So number one, 10 grams of carbohydrate should bring me up about three millimoles per liter or 54 milligrams per deciliter. Now that sounds like a relatively inadequate or irrelevant piece of information, but it's actually really valuable. If I know that 10 grams of carbohydrate without insulin should bring me up about three millimoles per liter or 54 milligrams per deciliter. That already gives me clarity around how, how or what amount of carbohydrate to consume prior to a walk, prior to a run. If I'm treating a hypo, how much I need. If I'm hovering on the kind of lowish in-range line, 10 grams of carbohydrate should bring me up three millimoles, for example. So it's a, it's a good piece of information to be able to use in loads of different scenarios, loads of different situations with your diabetes management. So 10 grams of carbohydrate without insulin should bring me up about three millimoles per liter. Sorry, I've taken a bit of a pause because my phone vibrated from my sensor and it told me I am, just as we're talking about being on the lower end of in range, I am 4.2 millimoles as we speak, as I speak, which for me, I'm really comfortable to be at that place. And that's the, that's the wave and that's the line that I kind of like to ride the most part. So that's 4.2 millimoles per liter, 76 milligrams per deciliter. I like to be at that place. I'm comfortable and I'm confident being there. And my phone vibrated because I have my low alarm set to 4.5 millimoles so that I'm notified when I'm around that kind of lower end of in range. So if I am potentially going down to a hypo, I can catch it before I actually am in a hypo state because your CGM is always playing catch up. My voice is slightly hoarse also today because I've been doing an immense amount amount of speaking this week with podcasts and calls and all sorts of things. So um, my voice almost almost needs a break. Uh, Okay, next one. Number two, having a hot shower has the potential to drop your blood sugar, particularly with IOB, which is insulin on board, which is active, fast-acting insulin. But hot showers also have the potential to spike your blood sugar. Know what's relevant to you. So from my perspective, I know that a hot shower is always inclined to drop my blood sugar, particularly if I have fast-acting insulin on board. If I have fast-acting insulin in my system and I have a hot shower, 
it's basically the same for me as running like going out for a run with insulin on board my bloods are just inevitably going to crash because essentially what can happen is your blood vessels open up vasodilation it's called basically with the the hot water the hotter temperature and your insulin can work more effectively or it can exaggerate the impact of your insulin in terms of maybe even the speed that it hits you at maybe hit is the wrong word but the speed in which it has an impact on your blood sugar so basically for me i need to treat a hot shower similar to how i would treat going out for a walk or going out for a run i need to be mindful of not having fast acting insulin on board now the flip side of that is you may be somebody who jumps in a hot shower and their blood sugar goes through the roof because that can happen too because if we're under hot water if our body is stressed from the hot water essentially that can cause blood sugar to spike quite quickly so you may be one or the other know what's relevant to you it's important to even just be mindful of it Uh, number three if we are actively trying to spread out meals throughout the day we can eat let me speak from my own perspective if i am actively trying to spread out meals throughout the day I can eat in between the gaps. But I will have mostly protein and mostly fat to make things easier. Stacking insulin isn't against the law. Just be confident of your ratios. So it's something that I have heard numerous times over the years. Don't stack your insulin. Don't stack your insulin. Don't stack your insulin. Essentially, that means don't take insulin doses really close to each other. Don't be taking insulin and then more and then more and then more. And logically, it makes perfect sense because it's easy to take too much insulin. It's easy to get lost in the amount of insulin you have been taking. And as a result, you may increase the likelihood of you going too low and going too low too quickly, potentially. So... Stacking insulin is always advised against, or it's always advised that you you don't stack your insulin. And again, makes perfect sense. It is quite logical. But for me, with my management, I know that if I space out my meals by three or four hours, it gives me a lot of clarity with each meal around how much insulin I need, where are my blood sugars at, Are they going to spike or drop from a previous insulin dose that I've taken? Probably not because it was like four hours ago was my last meal. So that's the logic with splitting meals. Now, it's also unrealistic to believe that I'm going to live my life and every single meal that I have is going to be a minimum four hours gap. That's just not realistic. So when I fit my diabetes management into my day that's important because i don't want to fit my day around my diabetes if i have a meal and then i'm hungry an hour later i'm gonna eat i'm not i'm not not gonna eat just because i've eaten an hour ago but two important points here if i'm eating again and i know i've just taken insulin for a previous meal potentially 
I can simplify the secondary meal. Let's call it a secondary meal. I, I can simplify the secondary meal's impact on blood sugar by opting for primarily protein and fat and avoiding carbohydrate. So essentially, if I'm eating in the gap of that four hours between meals, if I eat a meal that doesn't require insulin, I just make it easier for myself. And that, again, is the logic behind people who eat really low-carb diets. Inevitably, you're taking less insulin. You're eating less carbohydrate. It's, quote-unquote, easier to manage your blood sugar. That's just the reality. But not everybody wants to eat low-carb, and that's okay. It's your decision. So, as I said, two options. I will either opt for a meal that doesn't require insulin, or I will just make sure I am ultra confident of my insulin to carb ratios, which I am, which is important. I'm not saying I'm ultra confident of it because I'm great. I'm just saying I'm ultra confident of my ratios because I constantly reevaluate them and make sure it is what I need. So if I have eaten a meal and then I'm eating an hour later, I'm confident to do so because I'm confident of my insulin to carb ratios. So essentially, it's actually irrelevant that I'm stacking insulin because I'm just taking the amount of insulin that I need for the food anyway. Number four, 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 where are we? Number four. Again, this is me. This is not what you have to do, but this is just insight into ways that I think or decisions that I make with my own diabetes. So number four, if my blood sugar is high, I won't eat until I'm back in range, unless the food doesn't require insulin. So what's the logic behind that? So I know that if my blood sugar is high and then I eat while my blood sugar is high, my blood sugar is inclined to continue to climb or stay higher. And sometimes it can feel like you're quite literally adding fuel to the fire if your blood sugar is already high and you continue to eat, particularly carbohydrate. So one of my rules is, and again, for the most part, I can't do this perfectly all the time because your life can change from time to time. Your routine can change. But if my blood sugar is high, I just won't eat. I won't eat carbohydrate particularly because I'm adding fuel to the fire. Now, if there was a scenario where I had to eat, the next best thing is increasing my pre-bolus time and increasing my insulin dose because I'm compensating for my blood sugar already being high. Now, you might not always have the time to have a longer pre-bolus, but when you're taking more insulin, again, it can make things foggy. It can make things slightly more complicated and you don't have as much clarity around where your bloods are going for the next one, two, three, four hours. So as I said, I don't eat if my blood sugar is high unless that food doesn't require insulin. So for example, let's say I'm sitting and my blood sugars are 12 millimoles, which is high. If I'm at 12 millimoles, generally I'm going to require a two unit correction. So I'll give you an example again. My blood sugar is at 12 millimoles. I know I require a two-unit correction to bring me down, but I am hungry and I have to eat or whatever other scenario I may be in. 
if the food that I'm eating doesn't require insulin, I'm happy enough to just eat the food because I know it's not going to have an impact on my blood sugar anyway. So that could be primarily fat, primarily protein, but ideally a smaller portion size. And the logic behind that is if I have a larger portion of fat and protein, even though I may not require insulin up front, I'm typically going to require insulin because the release of that fat or release of that protein over a longer period, one half, two, two and a half hours potentially, is still going to spike my blood sugar. So when I say a meal that doesn't require insulin, generally what I mean by that is a meal that's primarily veg, primarily protein, primarily fat, and a relatively small portioned meal. Number five, last one, manage your value to risk ratio with your blood sugar. Preempt and accept highs or lows. What the hell do you mean by that? Okay, this value to risk ratio is a ratio that I've come up with myself over time. (laughs) And basically what it is, is it's you making a decision at a certain time or any time. And it's you making a decision around what you value most in that moment and what's the risk directly on blood sugar with that decision that you make. So I'll give you an example. I really value my night's sleep. I really value my overnight blood sugar. If you listen to this podcast you know that my overnight blood sugar is important to me because it's a third of my day. It's a third of my week, a third of my month, a third of my lifetime with diabetes. So being in range overnight as much as possible is important to me. I also know that I sleep better when my blood sugar is in range. I don't wake up as much. I wake up the next morning feeling energized and recharged. So I feel already on top of the day, ready to do work and do what I need to do as opposed to waking up being pissed off that my blood sugar's high, feeling on the back foot. I value that massively. It's really important to me. So when I pull this back to my value to risk concept, the example that I give you is, let's say I'm going to bed at 10 p.m. and maybe I have some cravings and I want to order a pizza, for example. It's natural that I want to have a pizza because maybe I'm hungry. I have cravings. I'm a human being, right? As we all do. But in that moment, I will weigh out my value to risk ratio. Meaning, because of the fact that the pizza that I'm going to get is going to be completely unpredictable blood sugar wise because I'm getting it from a restaurant or a takeout place. I've no idea what's in the food. I can have a strategy for it, but essentially I've no idea what's in the food. So it's a guess for the most part. What I will say to myself in that moment is, is the risk of not having the night's sleep that I value due to erratic or unpredictable or volatile blood sugars worth this pizza at this specific time. The vast majority of the time with this sort of scenario, the answer is no, it's not worth it. Because I'll eat that pizza in 15 minutes and then 
that could have an impact on my blood sugar for five, six, seven, eight hours throughout the night, which I just don't want to deal with. Now, don't get me wrong. I eat pizza quite a lot. I eat all different types of foods quite a lot. But the timing of foods in a 24-hour period has a big impact. So the value to risk ratio is what do you value more in that moment? What's more important to you? Having the pizza or a consistent night's sleep? There's no right or wrong answer. It's your decision to make. But manage your value to risk ratio. And sometimes if you, maybe you, you might be listening to this being like, ah, that's too restrictive. It's too restrictive. I don't want to do that. My diabetes is dictating my decision I'm making. No, it's not. The way I look at it is I live with type 1 diabetes. These things have an impact. And it's my responsibility to make decisions that optimize my health as much as possible. So someone may view that type of mentality as being restrictive. I view that mentality as being quite confident and powerful around, maybe powerful isn't the wrong word, but confident and clear on what you value with your life with type 1 diabetes. I'm not saying I've every, I'm not saying anybody is perfect management, but these types of decisions that you make, that you make consistently have a significant impact on your management. So, and this is something that we speak about a lot in, inside our type 1% program in, in a bit more depth and in different contexts and different scenarios, but know what you value in your life and be honest with yourself in terms of, am I making decisions that are in line with that thing that I value? I value my blood sugar. I'm not telling you, you need to, you, well, I'm guessing you do because you're listening to this podcast. I value my blood sugar because it impacts my energy. It impacts my mood. It impacts my sleep. It impacts my recovery. It impacts my concentration. It impacts loads of different things, right? So I value that a lot. So a lot of the decisions that I make will be in line with something that I value, i.e. my blood sugar. So manage your value to risk ratio. There we go. That was a nice solo episode. Let me check the time. How long have we done? 20 minutes. It seemed much shorter, but as you know, I like to talk about diabetes a lot. <laughs> um, hope you got value from that. Manage your value to risk ratio. It's an important one. And if you haven't yet heard or you're not aware of just yet, but for the whole month of November, which will be next week, we are doing a 30-day diabetes management project, which essentially is a podcast and a video every day for 30 days on a different topic relating to diabetes management. And they're going to be short, bite-sized episodes, straight to the point, what you need to know about these specific topics. And essentially, we're framing it as 30 days to transform your diabetes management. Meaning, if you listen and implement and learn from the things that we go through, 
in a 30-day period, you can drastically improve your diabetes management, drastically. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a podcast every day and a video every day. And like we've said before, if you even have any sort of topics or specific issues or challenges that you want us to go through over that month, we're all ears. We want to give you what you need, what you want. So drop us an email at theinsulonepodcast at gmail.com if you have any ideas or suggestions or questions in terms of what we want to go through. But keep an eye out for that. 30 episodes, 30 days, transform your diabetes management over the month of Diabetes Awareness Month. And until then, hope you got value from it. Look after yourself. Have a good week, whatever you're up to. And I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.